Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiefman. And while we are joining here together on the radio waves to glean inspiration, it is difficult. Many members of our community, including myself, are on their way to West Park Cemetery to bid farewell to our dear friend, to a committed and dedicated member of this community, to our personal colleague, whom I've shared many shifts in our Hatzalah duties. Chaim Sarki, it is so difficult and profoundly sad that here, as our community prayed so with such commitment, with such hope, with such fervor for the past two and a half weeks since he fell ill. And yet, it seems like we lost the battle. Words cannot express the depth of sorrow, the loss that we as a community feel, and as team members, as friends, as individuals. Chaim wasn't just a dedicated colleague. He was a source of inspiration, of strength to all of us, to so many, to those who knew him to his friends, to his family, to this entire community. He had such unwavering commitment to assisting, to helping in any way possible as anyone who knew his involvement in so many matters of this community. His compassion to help those in need will never be forgotten. And it's a difficult moment to think about a young soul, a dear friend, no longer with us in the physical sense. His contributions to our community in so many ways extended far beyond what anyone even knew. He was involved in marketing in the community. I can tell you personally how many times he's reached out to me. I'm looking at my WhatsApps this morning when I heard the devastating news just to reminisce a little bit and seeing how he's promoted our Chabad seniors activities. I was promoted Jewish Learning Institute courses that I've been teaching in the community. He called me up asking for a display LED menorah so he could promote the miracles that God does. And we were hoping for this miracle for him. Chaim was a person looking at a message just before Pesach when we at Chabad Seniors Program were distributing matzahs. Chaim asked, give me some senior citizens who I could bring matzahs to. I want to be part of this before Rosh Hashanah last year and in previous years. He reached out to me. Chaim asked, who can I go to bring the chauffeur to, people who can't make it to shul? That was Chaim. He went so far beyond his call of duty, a person who just went beyond. It's, it's impossible. It's so difficult for us to relate to this, how a person who touched so many lives and made such a positive difference in the world, made such a lasting impression with his warmth, with his kindness, with his generosity. And here, we lost a true friend. It's difficult. It's a hard, challenging time to grapple with this. And I want to take a moment to think how this week, this Shabbos, is called Shabbos Chazon. On Shabbos Chazon, what does it mean? It means a Shabbos of vision. If you ask any mainstream learned Jew why this Shabbos is called Shabbos Chazon, well, I'll tell you the simple answer because the opening uh, verses of the Haftorah this week 
are the words of the prophet of the vision of Isaiah, Chazon Yeshayahu, predicting the sadness, the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem, of the tragedy that would befall our people, which have not ceased. And this Haftarah and vision is perhaps the harshest Haftarah we read throughout the year, where the prophet Yeshayahu Isaiah, for the very first time, prophesizes the destruction of Jerusalem and the entire country following the moral degeneration of Israel. And his words are like a dagger in the heart. He describes how an ox knows its owner and a donkey its mother's crib. Only Israel, we the Jewish people, sadly, have forgotten Hashem and all that God has done for us. His words echo very difficult sentiments of how we have, to some degree, abandoned Hashem. Yet, if you ask any Hasidic Jew why this Shabbos is called Shabbos Chazon, Shabbos of Vision, in fact, probably as a kid, I had a very different perspective until I grew a little bit older to know that the original reason it's called Shabbos Chazam, the Shabbos of Vision, is because of the opening verse of the Haftarah, predicting, prophesizing the doom and gloom, the destruction of Jerusalem. But as a child, I was taught a beautiful parable, a metaphor that was related by the great Hasidic master of Alevi Yitzchak Abarditchev, he was one of the most inspiring and beloved of the early Hasidic masters. And he taught that it's on this Shabbat that every single one of us, every single Jew is shown a vision, a mini prophecy, if you will, of the third and future temple to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. So I could tell you what you'll be dreaming about this Shabbos, the future temple, the greater times to come. The irony of this, hardly can you find two interpretations that are so contradictory. Which one is it? Is it a vision of destruction or is it a vision of rebuilding? Have the Hasidim really so dramatically diverged from the authentic original Jewish passion? How can the Rebbe Berdichev interpret the very same name for the same Shabbos in complete contradiction to the actual reason that this Shabbos was named. Was I duped as a child, told the wrong reason? Is this Shabbos of Isaiah's vision of destruction or is it of what Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of told us, a Shabbos of vision of hope? Are we commemorating the tragic end of the temples in Jerusalem as I lived in the era towards the end of the first temple? Or are we imagining the future, third, permanent, eternal temple in Jerusalem? How can the Hasidic movement come along? How can this great Hasidic master of Alevitzchikovitichuk interpret things so different, even if it is somewhat romantic, but contradicts and distorts the actual facts? Are we able to take a moment that's so tragic, so difficult, so sad? And indeed, 
see happiness, joy this time? Today is a very difficult day, burying a dear friend. Are we able to see beyond that? And my friends, this is the story of our Jewish history. It's a very interesting story in the Talmud. And it says that on the day that the holy temple was destroyed, a Jew was plowing his field when his cow suddenly mooed loudly. It must have been waiting for Musaf. Sorry, because it wanted to get to the bracha, to the Kiddush. Well, there was a Arab who was passing by, and he heard the mooing of the cow. Says the Gemara, the Arab understood the language of animals. And so he said to the Jew, son of Judah, Bar Yahut, unyoke your cow, free the stake of your plow, because your holy temple has now been destroyed. He heard and understood this cow was echoing the destruction of the temple, the gloom of Jerusalem. But then the cow loud a second time. And now the same Arab said to this Jew, Bar Yahud, son of Judah, yoke your cow, reset the stake of your plow, because your Redeemer has now been born. What does this interesting story, fascinating, enigmatic tale from the Talmud mean? The Gemara is telling us the story in Masechet Brachas, in the Jerusalem Talmud. What is the meaning, the understanding of this peculiar story? Here you have a cow telling us about the destruction of Jerusalem and a man who understands the language of cows and he interprets the first move as doom and gloom. And yet the second, as your Redeemer has now been born, if Mashiach was born when the temple was destroyed, which, my friends, is a long time ago, the year 70 of the Common Era, over 1953 years ago, what is this to me? How are we to understand this? If Mashiach was born then, then where is he? Where has he been hiding all these years? How old is Mashiach today? Is he really that old, 1,954, 53 years? And even more so, the Talmudic story is actually brought down in Halacha, Jewish law, as the reason why in the afternoon of Tisha B'Av, the morning actually becomes less intense. Because Mashiach was born on the day of the destruction. But my friends, was Mashiach really born then? What does this story mean? It seems a little bit enigmatic, peculiar. And interestingly, this piece of Talmud was in fact presented by the Christians in Spain in 1263 in the public disputation that they imposed on the Jews. At Chabad House, we have an old VHS tape of a BBC production called The Disputation, where at the time there was a debate that was initiated in Barcelona by an apostate Jew named Pablo Cristiani. And he was debating with a very great, famous Spanish-Jewish sage, Nachmanides Ramban, Rabbi Moshe Ben-Nachman. 
who at the time himself was already an elderly man, and he was forced to participate in this debate. This story was brought as proof that the Messiah had already come just as they believed. And Ramban, Nachmanidi, discussed this at great length, and he easily refuted this proof by showing that either way, the Messiah was long dead by the year 70 and was also born, according to them, in the year zero, which is 70 years before that. Either way, this is a very interesting story. And while it's difficult to understand its implications, I think we can learn a very profound lesson from this. Because obviously, if it's a story that's mentioned in the Talmud, it's not just something mythical, but there's more depth to it. There's a well-known dictum in Judaism that God is, so to speak, bound by Jewish law. And this, my friends, is taught the throughout uh, Jewish literature in many places, discussing, there's a verse in Tehillim, it says that he shares his word with Yaakov. Magi devarav le-Yaakov, chukav u-mishpatav le-Yisrael. Every Hasidic bar mitzvah boy learns a discourse and that expounds on this verse that tells us that all that God tells us to do, God himself does. And so, God is bound by the very same laws which Hashem imposes upon us, which of course raises a major question. It is a biblical prohibition to destroy the holy temple or any part of it. Halacha tells us it's forbidden to smash a single stone of the altar or the temple or the temple courtyard in any destructive way. And that's explicitly stated as a law in the Torah. Which, by the way, is extending to shuls or any other holy place in modern times as well. It's a home of God. And even during the tragic expulsion that some of you might remember happened 18 years ago, Gush Katif, where unfortunately many Jews had to leave their homes in Israel. Yet the Israeli government didn't have the audacity to destroy the shuls there. I was there at the time and I remember how the shoes were being moved and the furniture and everything else. So, of course, one wonders, how could God destroy the Holy Temple? Isn't that a clear violation of Jewish law? Now, certainly we know that historically speaking, the temples were destroyed by enemies of the Jewish people. The first temple was, was, was wrecked by the armies of the Babylonian emperor Nebuchadnezzar. The second temple by the Roman legions, first Vespasian who came, and then the ultimate work was carried out by Titus Titus Harasha. Yet God does take full responsibility for everything that happens in this world. While Hitler, Yamashem of Zechro, is responsible for the murder of six million Jews and so many other innocent people. Ultimately, God's in control. In fact, in the words 
of the prophet Yirmiyahu Jeremiah. Hashem says he's dispatching Nebuchadnezzar to carry out the destruction of the temple. So it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar acting on his own. It certainly was done with the consent and approval of Almighty God. Not just consent and approval, actually. He was God's messenger in this. Despite Nebuchadnezzar's vicious intentions, God used him as an instrument to destroy the temple. Which, of course, leads to the question. That's an act that is seemingly forbidden by Jewish law. If the Jews were undeserving of this unique structure of our holy temple, which was the spiritual epicenter of the universe, maybe it could have been dismantled, like the Israeli government dismantled those synagogues in Gush Katif, or hidden, like what happened to the Mishkan, or maybe even just expelled. What was the justification for God to destroy the temple completely? We'll be back in a moment to discuss a little bit more about the significance of this Shabbos, Shabbos Chazon, Shabbos of Vision, its meaning, its purpose, and the lessons we could glean that will hopefully give us some hope and encouragement on this difficult day. We'll be right back. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9. Hi FM, I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman. And today, being a very difficult day, losing a dear friend, a colleague, a important member of our community, a young man, a father, a husband, a child. And we try to glean some inspiration, some hope, some encouragement during this difficult, tragic, challenging time. And so, considering the time when we're in, as we approach Shabbos Chazon, the Shabbos of Vision, before Tisha B'Av, we ask the question, the typical reason, the original reason the Shabbos is called Chazon, a vision, is because of the opening verses of this week's Haftorah, the prophecy of Isaiah, Yeshayahu Anabi. Yet, there is a Hasidic interpretation. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Radichev tells us that on this Shabbos, we all have a vision of the future temple that will be eternal and everlasting. We told the story about the cow mooing and the Arab language interpreter of animals who tells us that this cow was at first predicting the destruction, the doom and gloom, gloom of Jerusalem. And yet, the cow moves again. And now, we are told, the Arab interpreter says, your Messiah was born. We ask a question. What is the meaning? Two completely contrasting, contradicting interpretations of Shabbos, a vision of the cows, lao. What does it mean? And we conclude with a question. How could God indeed have allowed the destruction of the temple if God instructs us that we are not allowed to desecrate in any way, shape, or form the temple? 
How could God then justify the destruction of Jerusalem and all of the tragedies that come along with it? And my friends, there may be many answers, but one that certainly struck a chord with me, very profound understanding. There's only one way in which it is actually permissible to destroy a shul or any holy structure. And that is when the purpose is to rebuild that shul in the very same location. Why, you wonder? Well, our sages explain the halachic commentators, the codifiers of Jewish law. Because in that case, when you're destroying in order to build then actually the destruction itself is not considered a destruction because the demolition is itself an act of building. This is something that is referenced in Jewish law, that when the demolition is for the purpose of rebuilding, then indeed that is something that would be permissible. Because when you're destroying a shul to rebuild it elsewhere, that is actually an act of destruction, even if your intention is to rebuild it somewhere else, which we've seen many times, unfortunately, with the semigration and emigration in our community over the years, that some shuls have unfortunately had to relocate, and it's unfortunately a fact of Jewish life in South Africa and many other parts of the world, that our communities migrate, they move, and then it's inevitable that the shul itself needs to be dismantled, destroyed, However, if, for example, our shul, Santon Central Shul, which you're most welcome to come join us at any time at 8th Stella Street in Santon across the Chow Train, we have major plans for a big renovation. And if you look around town, many other shuls drive by Waverly Shul every day and we see how there's renovations going on. And please God, other shuls also following in this positive trajectory then the demolition is not destructive. On the contrary, it is constructive. And in that sense, when you're raking, that's only the beginning of renovating. All renovations have to have those two phases. The demolition of the old and then the construction of the new. You can't build the new if you don't remove the old. And so it was in that sense, with God's destruction of the Holy Temple. The demolition itself was the beginning of a renovation of the future temple that would be built in the very same space. What was missing with the first and second temples that needs to be renovated in order to have the third temple? Well, the Zohar the Bible of Kabbalah, of Jewish mysticism, tells us that the first two temples were edifices that were built by human hands. And so they were subject to the mortality of anything and everything that's human. Fortunately, human life is not eternal. Our soul, our neshama is. Chaim's neshama will continue to live on forever. But today, as we bid farewell to a dear friend, to a colleague, it's very difficult 
a life cut short. Unfortunately, man is by definition, we are limited. All of our accomplishments, all of our feats, everything we do. And in a sense, I would say that Chaim achieved a lifetime what, or more than what many others achieve in a lifetime during his short journey here in this world. But only by destroying the human temples was the groundwork laid for the permanent, eternal temple that won't, that, that's not possible to be built by human hands because of our mortality but would instead actually be built by Almighty God, by Hashem Himself. And that is indestructible. To make room for a divine structure, the human structure had to be destroyed. And that's why both temples, unfortunately, were demolished. The demolition itself, of course, it's sad when the structures are destroyed. Of course, it's tragic when we think of all the other terrible effects that came with it and the losses of life. But the Zohar is trying to give us another perspective to realize that that's only the first phase in the construction of the third and eternal temple. Because a basic tenet of Jewish faith is our belief in the resurrection of the dead. A basic idea that when Mashiach comes, it's part of the 13 principles of Jewish faith, is that we will be reunited with all our beloved departed loved ones. And then indeed, the world will be a completely different and utopian place. Yet, unfortunately, I think, it seems that God... It's a classic Jewish contractor. It's taking him a really long time to get this job done, to get the job completed. The old structure was demolished, but the erection of the new one is taking far too long to happen. It's been so long already. We could think about this in our own lives. Maybe with some of our own struggles. And maybe any relationship goes through three phases. Engagement, marriage, and honeymoon. First years, everything's bliss. Suddenly, marriage is sometimes experienced. Some challenges, some struggles. Frustration and disengagement sometimes take the place of that romantic bliss. Sometimes people wonder, what does the future hold? But how do you deal when you hit a challenge in a relationship? Some people sadly see it as the end of a bright and blissful era. Make no mistake, if God forbid one's in a toxic relationship, that is the case. And that's when anger and mistrust and all those feelings... Replace the affection of the past. But in most cases, in healthy human beings, there's another and deeper and truer perspective. 
that the cracks, the rocks, the challenges and struggles are the beginning of the renovation of that relationship. Renovation always consists of those two phases. There's the demolition and the rebuilding. When something is being destroyed, you could see it as destruction or you could see it as creating the space for newer opportunities. You can't remodel your home without that demolition. I'm not encouraging or in any way suggesting that marriages should hit the rocks and the cracks in relationships to come. But if they do, if they happen, then realize it's an opportunity to transform your relationship. Any relationship, by the way. That doesn't just apply to a marriage. That could be any other familial, loving, or even business and professional relationships. That it's an opportunity to fix the, the, the problems and to come to a much better, more blissful place. And the problem of we are all humans and based on our own human feelings and our own subjective love and passions, we get caught up in certain situations. But those as humans, we are can be temperamental. Our feelings and passions fluctuate. They're subject to change. Sadly, as a rabbi, I've seen marriages that started off as Roma, Yom, and Juliet and ended up as Hitler and Stalin. Last year, they were crazy about each other and for some reason, no longer interested. A relationship that's founded on the pillars of human emotions or human emotions alone, of course, you need to have the chemistry. But if it's only that, then of course... It's going to develop cracks of all sorts because we as humans are fallible. And when those cracks appear, if we tap into the divine element of a relationship, as the Talmud says, if a husband and wife, Ish and Isha, are living harmoniously together, then Shechina, Shruya Benayim, they have the divine presence. Ish, the husband, contributes the yud. And Isha, the woman, the wife, has the letter hey, both letters of the divine name. Then you realize you bring the divinity, God, into your relationship. Here you see the opportunity to renovate that relationship. You're able to rebuild your relationship on the foundations of Torah and mitzvahs. That's the blessing that we give to a bride and groom. That it shouldn't just be the romantics of our own feelings. If we build it on the divine element, then it's an eternal honeymoon. And when there are cracks, we realize it's an opportunity to recreate the relationship as a divine institution. It's not only that our hearts are drawn to each other. Because that, obviously, as human beings, we have feelings and changes of feelings. But when we realize that our relationship is based on Torah, Torah values, on the divine aspect, then we're committed 
to the sacred and divine institution of marriage. As a husband says to his wife when he places the ring upon her, that transcends our own egos, our own subjective emotions. We realize that there's something divine at stake in a relationship and therefore we're committed to that sacred structure. The very cracks in a relationship can be redefined as the beginning of its renovation. The demolition is the first stage in the reconstruction. In life, all types of challenges come. It's not only in relationships. People have a good job, it pays well, promising future, their career, who knows? And suddenly, all of a sudden, who knows? The boss takes a liking to somebody else. There's no future in the company. How do you deal with it? You could see it as a horrible destruction of your career. But you could also see it differently. The very demolition of that specific aspect of your job can be an opportunity for a new and much greater future. Maybe it's the time to go independent. Maybe it's the time to confront certain issues that you're scared to deal with. If not for this crisis, you could have deceived yourself much longer. Who knows? Maybe it's time to allow yourself to dream far bigger, to allow your divine potential to emerge in all its might. So the breakdown can certainly be a birth of a new grand idea. There's a famous story about a young chemist who was working for some time developing this uh, bonding agent. And after years of hardship, the work was complete and he tried it out, but it didn't stick, it didn't work well. And of course, one wonders what's the use of glue if it doesn't stick. Most people would have called this a failure or a disappointment. Time squandered, wasted, effort spent in vain. But this young chemist thought otherwise. Instead of deciding that his work was a failure, he asked, what if it is a success? What if he's discovered a solution? The only thing left now is to determine what was the problem. And so he refused to give up. He kept asking himself, what's the use of this underachieving adhesive? And eventually, in fact, he found it. And it became a huge commercial success. In fact, you probably have one sitting in your car or in your office or in your home, in your bedroom. Those little sticky notes. What do they call them? The post-its. That's how post-it notes were invented. When something bad happens, we can either see it as a failure or like that chemist. We can make it a success. Whatever our fate we always have a choice between seeing it as a crushing tragedy devoid of meaning or as a tragedy which contains the seeds of something profoundly positive. All rebuilding is painful. To demolish a house is never fun. Lots of work, rubble, headaches. But it's crucial. If you want a new, bigger, beautiful abode, you're going to have to do the demolition in order to do the construction. We'll be back in a moment, and hopefully we could apply lessons 
to this difficult, challenging day. We'll be right back. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9. Hi FM, I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiefman. And we continue as we bid farewell to this dear friend today, a brother, esteemed Hatzalah responder in our community, Chaim Sarki. And as we've been talking, how difficult this tragic moment is and how it's impossible for us to make any sense of such deep sorrow and tragedy. And of course, we try, though, from a Torah perspective, to always glean inspiration. And so during this week, most difficult week on the Jewish calendar, the nine days when we mourn for the destruction of the temple, as we commemorate the 1953rd anniversary, Tisha B'Av, of the destruction of our second temple, we try to gain some perspective. And today, we were talking about how this coming Shabbos, Shabbos Chazon, Shabbos of Vision, originally we read about the vision of the prophet Isaiah, Chazon Yeshayahu, a vision of doom and gloom, the destruction of the temples. Yet at the same time, there's a Hasidic interpretation, as was introduced by Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Barditcha, the great Hasidic master, telling us that on this Shabbos, we each have a vision of the future temple, of the epoch, the era of Mashiach, when there'll be universal peace, a blissful time. And we thought, aren't these two perspectives contradictory? In fact, we told a story uh, that related in the Talmud, in the Jerusalem Talmud of Masechet Brachas, that describes on the day of the temple's destruction, how a Jew was walking with his cow. And the cow moved. And an Arab passerby who understood the language of animals interpreted that law of the cow as a time for the Jew to mourn as his temple was destroyed. But yet, when the cow moved again, he said, your Redeemer was born. How can these two contradictory interpretations make any sense? It seems to be completely different. One is of destruction. One is of a brighter future. And we ask the question that we've been discussing, and I want to just elucidate and elaborate just a little bit more. How could God have allowed and in fact instructed the destruction of the temple? Don't we quote the verse, Magit Varav Liakov, Chukav, Umishpatav Israel, that all that God tells us to do, God Himself is bound by the very same laws that He must do them too. So if God forbids us to desecrate any holy space, how could God instruct for the destruction of the temple and employ Nebuchadnezzar and the Romans to destroy our temples if that is forbidden? And what we've been explaining is how in order to renovate your home, essentially, you're going to have to demolish. And that demolition, although it seems destructive, is paving the way for the reconstruction of a beautiful home. And likewise, if we pay attention to any situation in our own lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, our relationships with our children, with our loved ones, we realize that although sometimes there are cracks, but those are opportunities 
if we pay heed and attention and do the right thing, we can fix the relationships. A friend of mine was once in hospital. This is a man who was always beating the rat race of life. And there I visit him in hospital and he tells me it's a blessing. I look at him incredulously. I ask, what kind of blessing can this be? You're lying sick in a hospital bed. And his response to me was, Rabbi, I've never had a moment's break. It was God's way of forcing me to take this break. We don't want to be in a hospital. We don't want to be in negative situations. Life is not meant to be detrimental. But perhaps there are lessons that we can learn from these situations and see the opportunity for renovation, for reconstruction in those challenges. When a person's business goes south, perhaps it's an opportunity for them to realize, hey, what can I do to change? When a famous story about an IBM executive who unfortunately made some major blunders in his decisions that cost this company millions of dollars. And he was called into an executive meeting of IBM executives, and he says, okay, here's my resignation. They look at him and say, resignation after such an expensive education? We have to pick up the pieces and learn from our mistakes, from our shortcomings, from our failures. Failure is not getting knocked down. Failure is only if we stay down. Sometimes another example that comes to mind is our happiness. We thought, ah, I thought I'm a happy person. And all of a sudden, unfortunately, life is not as smooth sailing as we thought it would be. I was cool, I was calm, I was collective, I was focused. And all of a sudden we hit this, this, our, our, our psyche hits a dam. We feel unhappy once again. We're back at square one. How do we deal with it? We could be overcome by despair. We could feel really bad. We want to give up. But that's not the perspective that Hasidus teaches us. This Shabbos, the Shabbat Chazon, it teaches us a deeper perspective. The cracks in our life is an opportunity to grow. Maybe my unhappiness is because previously, perhaps one's happiness is based on external aspects. Maybe um, our confidence came from the external accolades and approval of others. Maybe that's why it was vulnerable and weak. And now it has to come from our own true core identity. Realizing that each and every single one of us is indeed indispensable to God's plan for this world. God needs me. We've got to dig a little deeper and see our true worth, our true value. Any breakdown we experience in life, when one door closes, another one opens. We just need the courage to notice the new opening and to enter it. And this, my friends, is the understanding of the Talmudic story about the double moving of the cow. The first one expressed the destruction of the temple, and the second one expressed the birth of Mashiach. They seem completely contradictory in two opposite ends of the spectrum. Yet, from the Hasidic perspective, these were not two detached occurrences. The burning of a temple and the birth of Mashiach. They're intertwined with each other. These two events are essentially one and the same. The very destruction of the temple was also the birth of redemption. The demolition of the Beis HaMikdash could be seen from both perspectives. 
and the earth too. The temple was going up in flames. The house of God was disappearing. All the tragedies that would come along with it. Yet within the very same painful and horrific reality of destruction and demolition, there we could see another drama unfolding. The third temple was beginning to be rebuilt. That was the second move of the cow. The destruction of the human structure was opening the space for a divine structure. As humans, we're fallible. We have cracks. We have limitations. We're mortal. But it's only God who's infallible. God's actions that are eternal. And so these two perspectives on the very same reality gives us the ability to overcome our struggles and challenges in life. That is the sentiment within the Jewish consciousness, a sense of profound pain and grief that we feel on this day, a day when, sadly, we feel like our prayers have not been answered. The pain is so deep, so raw, like a dagger cutting into our hearts. We thought we would overcome this challenge. Chaim was fighting for his life. We were praying, doing more good deeds, acts of goodness and kindness. And no doubt Chaim gave it all he could to see how our community has galvanized together, has come together to do whatever we can to storm the heavens for Chaim's recovery. For the past two and a half weeks since Chaim fell ill, we were all vibrating at a level so deep, so profound, feeling as if, hoping God will answer our prayers. And there's no doubt that we feel let down. We do. But no prayers in vain. No act of goodness and kindness is unnoticed. No doubt all these prayers, all the good mitzvahs, everything that was done in times merit and, and, and merit for his recovery is a chus for him. He's for sure taking these prayers, these mitzvahs on high with him, face to face with Hashem before the Kisei had covered. And there's no doubt Chaim in his unique, beautiful way will be obstinate, will stand before God and demand enough is enough. How long can this renovation take? It's time for the third temple to be rebuilt. Look at what your children have done. Look what Am Yisrael, Akla Yisrael, what our whole community and beyond has done. We've done everything we can. And it's time for that redemption to come. And hopefully, that perspective of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev Although it is indeed a very difficult day, and we feel profound pain and grief. Tisha B'Av, these days preceding it, are a very difficult time. Yet, we have an unwavering sense of hope and faith. We pray every day for the future redemption. We believe with complete faith in the coming of Mashiach, and even though he's tarried and taken so long, we know, we await his coming every day. We believe with complete faith 
in the resurrection of the dead, that we will be reunited with Chaim, with all our loved ones. And so, my friends, let's tap into the vision, Shabbos Chazon, not just to see the words of our, of, of the prophet Isaiah, which on the one hand seem just doom and gloom 